We're continuing to read from the book Life of Pythagoras of Iambicus, translated by Thomas Taylor, but we're reading. We completed the life and we're reading fragments. The life, how long was the life? The life of Pythagoras, you had asked, was 139 pages. So on page 143, reading from Hippotamus the Thurian, H-I-P-P-O-D-A-M-U-S, the Thurian, T-H-U-R-I-A-N. Is that a region of Greece? Thurian. T-H-U-R-I-A-N. In his treatise on felicity. Uh-huh. Do you know what felicity is? Uh-huh. Of animals, some are the recipients of felicity, but others are incapable of receiving it. And those animals indeed are receptive of it that have reason. Hmm. Do you think felicity goes with the reason? Some animals have reason. For felicity cannot subsist without virtue. Hmm. Makes these makes these statements. Virtue is first ingenerated in, in that which possesses reason. Hmm. But those animals are incapable of receiving felicity that are destitute of reason. For neither can that which is deprived of sight receive the work or the virtue of sight, nor can that which is destitute of reason be the recipient of the work or the virtue of that which possesses reason. With respect to felicity, however, and virtue, the former is as a work, but the latter as a certain art. Do you think virtue is a certain art? You can make it an art, I guess. To that which possesses reason. It's the ultimate art form. But of animals which possess reason, some are self-perfect. And those are such as are perfect through themselves and are indigent of nothing external, either to their existence or to their existing well and beautifully. And such indeed is God. Those animals, however, are not self-perfect, which are not perfect through themselves, but are in what want of external causes to their perfection. And man is an animal of this kind. I knew that it was leading up to this. He was referring to man as an animal of this kind. Does that make sense? When he's referring to those animals, I had a feeling he was including man in it. Which man is? The funny thing about man is he's trapped in a... He's not talking about virtue in animals, David. Huh? I knew he was referring to man. 
of animals, therefore, which are not self-perfect. Some indeed are perfect, but others are not perfect. And those indeed are perfect, which derive their subsistence from both from their own proper causes and from external causes. And they derive it indeed from their own causes, because they obtain from whence both an excellent nature and deliberate choice, but for external causes, because they receive from whence equitable legislation and good rulers. But the animals, which are not perfect, are either such as participate of neither of these, and of some one of these, and whose souls are entirely deprived, depraved. And, uh, and such will the man who is of a description different from the above. <clears throat> See, that was like the dilemma of man, uh, the human condition is that humans are half animal, sort of, and half God. Like, it's like in the denial of death. Uh, right? And this is interesting how this is almost on that topic. And he breaks it out as being perfect and not perfect or something. Moreover, of perfect men, there are two differences. It's like saying like a perfect man is like Pythagoras or Buddha or somebody and the rest of us are undeveloped. For some of them are naturally perfect, but others are perfect according to life. And those indeed alone that are good are naturally perfect. But these are such as possess virtue. For the virtue of the nature of everything is a summit and perfection. Thus the virtue of the eye is the summit and perfection of the nature of the eye. Do you understand this? <laughs> Do you have a special ability to understand? Uh... Mm -hmm. Thus the virtue of the eye is the summit. Uh -huh. And perfection of the of the nat nature of the eye, but the virtue of man is the summit, and perfection of the nature of man. Those also are perfect according to life who are not only good but happy. For well, felicity indeed is the perfection of human life. Seems that, remember they said Pythagoras made his disciples happy. <laughs> it's interesting uh, in my, uh, what's the book of my, um, I forget which one it was, but it's a Suzuki book on Zen Buddhism that, that the, uh, the bodhisattvas or the monks or whatever, mildly joyful all the time. <laughs> mildly. It's in their nature, you know, when the soul manifesting the person. Well, if you become an enlightened bodhisattva, you're 
going to be joyful all the time. While you're rid of the suffering, well, you're getting rid of the type of mind that makes you suffer. If your mind makes you suffer and they get rid of that, then they're mildly joyful all the time. <laughs> mildly. But why mildly joyful? Couldn't they be? All the time. Well, if you meditate all the time, or you meditate regularly, not all the time, but if you meditate regularly, day, morning and evening, can can you not be mildly joyful all the time? Not mildly, but... <laughs> I am serious. I'm trying to be mildly joyful. Those also are perfect according to life who are not only good but happy. But felicity, indeed, is the perfection of human life. But human life is a system of actions, and felicity gives con completion to the actions. Virtue also and fortune give completion to actions. Virtue, indeed, according to use, but good fortune according to prosperity. God, therefore, is neither good through learning virtue from anyone, nor is he happy through being attended by good fortune. For he is good by nature, and happy by nature, and always was, and will be, and will never cease to be such, since he is incorruptible and naturally good. All right, well... But man is neither happy nor good by nature, but requires discipline and providential care. Well, that's, I suppose that's true, right? Men start out, they're not just naturally happy and good. <laughs> it requires discipline. <laughs> Do you think they have to be trained? Do you think man is happy, perfectly happy all the time <laughs> from birth? Or is he, but man is neither happy nor good by nature, but requires discipline and providential care. Huh? He requires meditation. <laughs> it's required meditation. And in order to become good, indeed, he requires virtue. But in order to become happy, good fortune. On this account, human felicity summarily consists of these two things, vis-a-vis -vis of praise and predication of beatitude. <laughs> these words sound very Victorian. <laughs> of praise, indeed, from virtue, but of the predication of beatitude from prosperity. Beatitude. Beatitude. Do you understand it? I don't understand. It possesses virtue, therefore, through a divine destiny, but prosperity through moral allotment. Now, divine destiny, do you get it by destiny? But pos prosperity through mortal, mortal allotment. 
but mortal are suspended from divine concerns. Allotment. Mortal allotment. It's a little, a little strange. Uh, uh, well, you know, so we're getting uh, an ancient Greek writing that's then translated, so. But mortal are suspended from divine concerns and terrestrial from such as are celestial. Terrestrial from such as are celestial. Hmm. Things subordinate are also are suspended from such as are more excellent. Uh -huh. God. And on this account, the good man who follows the gods is happy. But he who follows mortal natures is miserable. Hmm. I suppose so. For to him who possesses wisdom, prosperity is good and useful. It is good indeed through his knowledge of the use of it, but is useful through his co cooperating with actions. Uh, you think his wisdom should be coordinated with action? Uh -huh. It is beautiful, therefore, when prosperity is present with intellect, uh -huh. and one sailing, as it were, with a prosperous wind. Uh, that's very beautiful writing. It is beautiful, therefore, when prosperity is present with intellect and when sailing, as it were, with prosperous wind. Actions are performed looking to virtue, such as a pilot looks to the motion of the stars. <laughs> hmm. This is very poetic, huh? For this, he who does this will not only follow God, but will all will also co-arrange human with divine good. Mm. This also is evident that human life becomes different from disposition and action. But it is necessary that the disposition should be either worthy or depraved, and that action should be attended either with felicity or misery. Hmm. And a worthy disposition indeed participates of virtue, but a bad one, a vice. Hmm. These are the ethical fragments of the Pythagoreans. You find it fragmented or wise, wise fragments. <laughs> With respect to actions also, those that are prosperous are attended with felicity, for they derive their completion through looking to reason. But those that are unfortunate are attended with misery, for they are frustrated to the end. Hence it is not only necessary to learn virtue, but also to possess and use it. He's saying not to just learn it, but to then use it. 
Why don't you just read a book and learn virtue and then ignore it? Like, can't you just go about what you're doing after you go to school and learn virtue and then forget about it? And I believe you have to use it, virtue, if you use it. Either it's in practice, hence it is only, it is not only. Yeah, I know what it is, Tara. I'm so deeply involved in virtue, I could not. What is tell me one virtue thing? I am so virtuous, I can't conceive of non-virtue. Okay. I'm absolutely, perfectly one, virtuous. Everything I do is absolutely perfect. Okay. I perfectly get up and meditate perfectly. And then I... Then I read a book about perfect virtue. And then I... Perf perfectly go out and perfectly exercise my my body and I do my exercises. And then my performance of arts like in music is perfect. Uh -huh. And then I de clean up and declutter the house and cook and work uh, to provide services for the family, which is perfect also. So everything I do is near almost perfect. Hence it is not only to learn virtue, but also to possess and use it, either for security or increase of property when it is too little, or which is the greatest thing of all for the uh, amendation of families and cities. For it is not only necessary to have the possession of things beautiful, but also the use of them. All these things, however, will take place when a man lives in a city that uses equitable laws. Do you think we need good laws? And these indeed, I say, are what is called the horn of Amalthea. Here's a word here, A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A, Amalthea. Amalthea. Amalthea, sin. A what? Sin. The horn of Amalthea. Where all things are contained in equitable legislation. <laughs> hmm. Boy, the, the debate on the TV didn't sound very equitable. <laughs> and without this, the greatest good of human nature can neither be affected nor, when affected, be increased and become permanent. For this comprehends in itself virtue and the tendency to virtue, because excellent natures are generated according to it. Manners, likewise, studies, and laws subsist through this in the most excellent condition, and besides these, rightly deciding reason and piety, and sanctity towards the most honorable natures, so that it is necessary that he who is to be happy and whose life is to be prosperous should live and die in a country governed by equitable laws, relinquishing all illegality. You think we should live in a country with good laws, equitable laws? Hmm. 
At the same time, what has been said is attended with necessity. For man is a part of society, and hence from the same reasoning will become entire and perfect if he not only associates with others, but associates in a becoming manner. For some things are naturally adapted to subsist in many things, and not in one thing, others in one thing, and not in many, but others both in many and in one thing, and on this account in one thing become in many, because in many. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. You do? Wow. I still am in my not understanding mode. <laughs> For some things are naturally adapted to subsist in many things, and not in one thing. Others in one thing, and not in many. But others both in many, and in one thing, and on this account. In one thing, because in many. Mm. See, I'm reading this, so somebody with more understanding than myself can understand it then uh, make a comment and tell me what it means uh -huh. mm -hmm. right really well we are talking about equitable laws so so it is so that it is necessary that he who is to be happy and whose life is to be prosperous should live and die in a country governed by equitable laws, reconquishing all illegality. At the same time, same time, what has been said is attended with necessity. For man is a part of society, and whence from the same reasoning will become entire and perfect if he not only associates with others, but associates in a becoming manner. For some things are naturally adapted to subsist, subsist in many things and not in one thing, others in because, one thing. Because it's one thing that you are something, but becoming something, that's more difficult in a way. And not in many, but others both in many and in one thing, and on this account in one thing because in many. For harmony indeed and sympathy and number are naturally adapted to be ingenerated in many things. For nothing which makes a whole from these parts is sufficient to itself. Hmm. But acuteness of seeing and hearing and swiftness of feet subsist in one thing alone. God, uh, felicity, however, and the virtue of soul subsist both in one thing and in many, in a whole, and in the universe. God. And on this account, they subsist in one thing. You see, my subconscious mind understands it because it can process at a higher level. <laughs> but my reason is insufficient. It's felicity subsists in all things in one. So if it subsists in everything, so it is in one thing also. Because it's everything. So when you live in a city governed by laws, and the, the, within the city, there is felicity because of that. So, felicity is within everybody. It's wrong. Yeah, like my, my soul understands it, but my mind doesn't. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And on this account, they subsist in one thing because they also subsist in many and they subsist in many because they are inherent in a whole and in the universe. For the orderly distribution of the whole nature of things methodically arranges each particular and the orderly distribution of particulars gives completion to the whole of things and to the universe. Now that's great. This is very Pythagorean, I suppose. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Does that explain it? <laughs> and on account, they subsist in one thing because they also subsist in many, and they subsist in many because they are inherent in a whole and in the universe. For the orderly distribution of the whole nature of things methodically arranges each particular and the orderly distribution of particulars. <laughs> Each mm. one influences the other. There is order in the particular, there is order in the mm. whole thing, the universe. There is order in the universe, there is order in the particular thing. Yeah, so I guess. The one uh, governs the other in a way. Well, one influences the other. I suppose this is written from a fairly high perspective, then. He's not. Uh, He's like a mathematician, we said. He's very. Yeah. And the orderly distribution of particulars gives completion to the whole of things and to the universe. But this follows from the whole being naturally prior to the part, and not the part to the whole. For if the world was not, neither the sun nor the moon would exist, nor the planets nor the fixed stars, but the world existing, each of these also exist. Mm. It's funny that one saying from Kirpal Singh is it was unusual to read. He said the my, the world exists is just a, it's just a part of the mind. My goodness, because of mind, the world exists altogether. Do you think? Because you perceive it, what exists but our are what we perceive. <laughs> you know, in the Taoists, they were saying that the... Um, I was reading in Taoism, it was in uh, meditation techniques of the Taoist and the Buddhist masters by Daniel Oder. It says something like the the body, within the body contains the entire universe. Basically, you're your left eye is the sun, and your right eye is the moon, and your hair is like stars. Basically, the entire universe um, is, your body is the universe. <laughs> and we're back to this thing. For if the world was not, neither the sun nor the moon would exist, nor the planets, nor fixed stars, but the world existing. Each of these also exists. Uh -huh. The truth of this also may be seen in the nature itself of animals. Remember we started out as man was an animal. <laughs> for if animal, for if animal had, now singular animal, now if animal 
had no existence, there would neither be eye nor mouth nor ear, but animal existing. Now it's singular again, animal. I think he's... I think he means man. Man. If you see it existing, everything else exists. So the same way, the same way, if, uh, if you see everything existing, the universe exists in the way. I think man is basically just a mature animal. Let's say, right, an animal. What do you get when an animal grows up? Animal grows up to a man, so... So he says animal, but animal existing, each of these likewise exist. These things exist because man exists. As the whole, however, is to the part, so is the virtue of the whole to the virtue of the part. For harmony, not existing, and a divine inspection of mundane affairs, things which are adorned would no longer be able to remain in an excellent condition. An equitable legislation not existing in a city, it is not possible for a citizen to be good or happy. Hmm. All right. While health likewise not existing in the animal, it is not possible for the foot or the hand to be strong and healthy. For... For harmony, indeed, is the virtue of the world. We go back to harmony now. Now we're really becoming Pythagorean. Equitable legislation is the virtue of a city. Health and strength are the virtue of the body. Each of the parts, likewise, in these things is co-arranged on account of the whole and the universe. For the eyes see on account of the whole body. And the other parts and members are co-arranged for the sake of the whole body in the universe. I suppose that's true. Your eyes aren't going to see unless you have the rest of your body. <laughs> right? So, so we come down to harmony as needed. And you, know, you need like equitable legislation for the city. And you need health and strength. And uh, he he sort of places man as an animal that needs to be disciplined and made happy by discipline. God has already got all the good stuff, but man is, has to discipline to become felicious, so to become happy. Right? Hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting in a way. It's kind of archaic, but it was interesting. It's an interesting way of thinking. Very mathematical way of thinking. Well, it's uh, we are reading. Uh, the first fragments of the ethical writings of certain Pythagoreans. Uh, and this was Hypodamus, 
the Thurian hmm, on Felicity. Alexa, what is the definition of the word Felicity? Felicity is usually defined as the state of being happy, especially in a high degree, bliss. For more, ask me to give you more definitions for Felicity. Hmm. I like that word, bliss. It's more happiest. And bliss. Uh-huh. How to get bliss. Uh-huh. By discipline of virtue, having virtue, in a, and the animal acquires... Uh, so if this animal, which is man, acquires virtue, he'll become become happy. Uh-huh. What? Iambicus. Uh, she may not understand the, the, the pronunciation. No, you want, you might want even Pythagoras or this guy. Uh, Alexa, who was Hippodamus the Thurian? Sorry, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you get through. It's too hard. Hmm. Anyways, we completed this section. I think that's enough. For, hmm. yeah, man, as a man, or as an animal. Because you questioned my virtue, so I read this as a partly as an animal. <laughs> but he says that man is like an animal. <laughs> We're like advanced animals in a way. Hmm. And man is an animal of this kind. Uh, he's saying man is an animal of this kind. So he comes around to say that. But I'd like to achieve bliss, so by practicing discipline <laughs> of virtue. <laughs> Any comment? Hmm.